Welcome to Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker, back again with another episode, y'all. On today's show, I got a special guest. Uh, he's going to be talking about some things that I think that are really relevant in the world today. And I hope that um, by listening to this episode and the ones that are going to be following it, um, I hope that you get something out of this that is going to be profitable and fruitful to you. Um, but I'm going to let him introduce himself, and then we're going to jump right into it. Go ahead, brother. Good evening. My name is uh, Philip Gardner. Uh, um, let me let me say this too, right for him, right. Uh, this is our first interview, and uh, this is a good brother right here. Uh, we were talking about uh, an issue the other day. We were just sitting around casually talking about an issue that um, I think is painful for a lot of people. Um, but I don't think a lot of people are aware of what goes on when you are in foster care. And uh, this brother was telling me some things that I had only heard about on TV. I had never in my life met anybody that had experienced what he was telling me. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, his experiences in foster care and how it shaped him and influenced the many years to follow in his life. And uh, I hope that like I said before, I hope that you get something out of this, and I hope that um, you uh, learn something from it, right? So, Phil, the other day when we were talking, right, um, you were telling me about about when you went into foster care. Tell 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 the listeners how you ended up in uh, foster care. Well, Joe, I, I ended up in foster care at the age of 15, which would have put me in 1993. Mm -hmm. My uh, my mom, she was a uh, she was on drugs, mm -hmm. and she abandoned us at a church mm -hmm. because she felt that she could no longer care for us. And it was myself. I mm -hmm. had a younger, three younger brothers and mm. two younger sisters from the ages of two years old all the way up to thirteen. Mm -hmm. So she, we, we all went to church one morning, one Sunday morning after mm -hmm. one of her. Uh, drug binges and mm -hmm. she just she left us at church you know I play basketball so I had my younger sister to watch my mom to make sure she doesn't leave us and I, I had a, a feeling that she was going to leave but I love basketball so there was a gym underneath the church so mm -hmm. we, my brother and I we were playing and when service was over you know we came back upstairs and I saw my sister and my brother and I'm like where's mom and they're like she went to the bathroom mm -hmm. but as time went on and people started to disperse and everybody left, she was no longer there. So mm -hmm. the pastor of that church, he wanted to take us home with him, mm -hmm. but his niece was a social worker in, uh, in Minnesota for the state of Minnesota. Right. Uh, and she said, no, you can't take them home. You got to call the police and the police has to take care of it. So that's what happened. Uh, they called the police. The police came and picked us up and takes us to this, uh, shelter which is a home for children you know from ages newborn all the way up to uh 18 years old right. uh and we ended up in that place for about two months and in that place it was there was a multiple kids from all different ages you know and we were separated i was separated from my younger brothers and sisters but my brother that's right underneath me the 13 year old uh, he and I were in the same, uh, I guess you could say, pod or mm -hmm. whatever. 
And we saw them in passing, but we didn't, you know, we didn't get to see them. And the, the way we ended up in foster care is because there was a family that would come in and, and kind of like go through and see what kids were, you know, behavior of kids, what kids were good in school. And they, were, they had, you know, other counselors there. So mm-hmm. we, my brother and I, you know, being raised in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, Mm-hmm. And I guess with the Southern hospitality, we were well-mannered. Even mm-hmm. though we were going through what we weren't, we're going through, we were well-mannered. So the counselors kind of took a liking to us. So they pointed the, the family uh, in the direction of us because, you know, we were 13 and 15 and, you know, we were well-mannered, never got in trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, we met with that family once. And maybe a month and a half later, we, they came and picked us up and we moved into that house uh, with the family, it was a you know African American husband, African American wife, mm-hmm. and they had two of their own sons. Uh, one was fourteen, and the other was eleven. So they were roughly the same age as us, mm-hmm. but they had their mom and dad there. So you can we 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 meshed well with them because they had a lot of. I guess amenities, toys, clothes, you know, all these things right, that right. we, we didn't have. So mm-hmm. it was easy for us to, to, to build that relationship. So let me ask you real quick, real quick. So what happened to your other siblings? Uh, they, st- they had to stay there? They eventually ended up moving to, all four of them stayed together. They moved to a, another foster home uh-huh. altogether, but uh-huh. they didn't move into the best neighborhood mm. in uh, Minneapolis. Okay, yes. Okay, that's a good point. Because uh, a few seconds ago you said it because you and your brother were raised in Memphis, Tennessee or had lived in Memphis, Tennessee, that Southern hospitality was part of your mannerism and so on. But this actually happened in... Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So they moved to uh, a different foster home in, in, in not the best area in Minneapolis. We, my brother and I, we moved to a suburb home in uh, the suburbs of Minneapolis, which was, it was a very affluent home area. I mean, it was, it was really nice. So there was a complete difference in the the environments, you know, which they, the neighborhood was more similar to Memphis that my younger brothers and sisters lived in. Uh, You know, it was, it was drug infested. It was, you know, right around the, corner from what they would call the track where, you know, where all right. the drugs, the gangs, right. you know. So they their, their upbringing was a lot different. And mm-hmm. the, the foster parent was single. It was a single mom, and she had two other foster kids that had she had already had there. So there was a total of six foster kids that she had, and then in the home that we were, it was just my brother and I. So... That that's how we ended up in foster care. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, it was, I, I guess, things begin to change. You know, mm-hmm. it it not on just not just in our foster home, but also in their foster home. So I, did y'all stayed in touch as best you could. Rarely did we see each other. We were it was supposed to be visits mm-hmm. every week. But yes. the, it was up to the foster parents. Mm-hmm. So if they didn't, if their foster mom didn't feel like 
taking them to the, the social worker office on the weekend, then we didn't see the visit. Or if our foster parents didn't feel like driving 30 minutes to the city, then we didn't see our mom. Or if my mom was out on one of her benches and just didn't show up, we didn't we didn't see. So right. it was it was a, a hit and miss. There was nothing consistent like this is right. how it's going to be right. every week. Right. So th- that it, it it began to to develop things and you know kind of grow me in a way that I would have never seen myself growing. Okay, let me, before you get to that, I want to ask. So you had a caseworker. Yeah, we had a caseworker, a social tell worker. Me, before you get to the part you're about to, tell me about the caseworker. What was that experience like? What were the responsibilities of the caseworker, and what did they talk to you about? Well, we saw the caseworker very sporadically. I mean, it was, uh, i say, a mid-age uh, white lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if she was married mm-hmm. or not. Uh, she would come by, and, you know, she would just check on things to just to really just look at the environment it was never uh mm-hmm. how you guys are doing or how is this place going or how are they treating you or how you know it was it was never like that then if something happened to where we got a different uh caseworker he was a male mm-hmm. so she stopped coming by and he began to come back he was an african-american man mm-hmm. and he would come by and he would you know ask us questions and kind of talk in general about sports and uh how school going and mm-hmm. you know it, it, it was very, uh, I guess, surface level. You know, we couldn't, yeah. whenever we would tell him something's going on or we wanted to tell him something's going on, he can he would divert the the, the, the question or, you know, just yeah. kind of avoid the issues of what we were trying to say. So, What were some of the things that you would try to say to him that he would just push to the side? Well, we would, we would tell him that, you know, we in his house and, they not buying us clothes, you know. Mm-hmm. We 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 don't have any clothes, mm-hmm. or uh, they let their kids watch TV, and we got to sit in the hallway to watch TV from the room. And sometimes they would have their kids close their their door so we can't watch TV. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had a radio, so we had to listen to the radio in the garage. And it's Minnesota, so it, it's cold and it's like minus twenty degrees. And we we got to listen to the radio in the garage and. Then if the radio is too loud, now you can't listen to the radio. So essentially, we would just end up being stuck in our bedroom, not being able to watch TV, not being able to listen to the radio. So the just the, the, the little things that you would normally have as a teenager, because that's what we wore, especially male teenagers, uh, were being restricted. I mean, I, I can't say why it all happened, but it was like that right away at the beginning. You know, so... Mm. Uh, if they and they, if they would get in trouble if they left the door open for us to watch TV because we could never go in their room to watch TV. You know, what room did y'all sleep in? We we had our own bedroom, my brother and I, and mm-hmm. in that bedroom it was two beds, uh, closet, you know, nothing on the walls, and uh, no TV. We could not have our radio up in there, no phone, no nothing. It was just a room, so mm. uh, we didn't understand it because at the the shelter, you know, we had our radio, we had TV. So to leave from that place to come to this home and then be what, you know, and let me say black people, mm-hmm. you, I would have thought that it would got a lot better, but it felt way worse. So they took the phones from you? We never had a phone. You never had one. They never yeah, got you. They never got us a phone. Your, the, 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 their kids had. Yeah, their kid had phones, TV, right. radio, and, you know, so. 
it it bothered, I can tell it began to bother their kids because when they would leave, when the parents would leave the home, then the doors came open. We could come in the room and we could watch TV, but we had to watch mm. to watch out for them to make sure, you know, moms, if she come in, you got to get out the room. And to the point where it, it their kids began to rebel against them. Did they did they ever tell you? Did they, their kids ever tell you why their parents were treating y'all like that? Never, not one time. They just would argue with their parents that they treated us messed up. Right. And one son, he kind of got really belligerent with his dad and was you know swearing like you treating them like crap they they didn't do anything why you treating them like this and he ended up getting a whooping and the other son got a whooping for standing up for so it was it was us being there was creating tension amongst the the parents and the children Mm -hmm. because they got to see how their parents were treating us Mm -hmm. so it it wasn't uh uh a pleasant situation to be in, to say the least. The other day you were telling me something about um, you were able to, I don't remember how you put it, but you were able to see the check that they were getting per month for you and your brother. Uh, Tell me about that. One day I came home from school because they never picked us up from school. So uh, being in this this suburban school, I was around a lot of white kids, and there was well-to-do white kids. Their parents had mansions. How were you as a student? I was I was excellent. I mean, my, I graduated with a uh, three point eight GPA. Uh, never caused any trouble. Never had any problems. I, I mean, I was considering the situation that I was in. You would have never known that I was living in the foster home and my mom was on drugs. So when you know, it, it was I, I was able to mask that side extremely well to the point where when I began to share that information, nobody believed me. They just they they couldn't believe. So how was your brother in school? My brother he was he was a C average student. He struggled in school even in when we were in Memphis. Yeah. But he too masked the situation, but in a different aspect. You know he he began to like drift towards the kids that were ca- causing problems. Mm. You know in the schools. You know where if they were fighting in the school, you guarantee he was somewhere around. Round that fight, not to say he was started, but just he he was drawn more to that part of you know the, the situation, and I was drawn to the opposite part of it. Mm-hmm. So you know, one day my friend dropped me off at home, mm-hmm. and I just decided I don't know some sort of go check the mail. So I checked the mail right, mm-hmm. and I go and there's a check from mm-hmm. the uh, Department of I can't remember, Social Child Service, Service. Yeah, and it was it had, but it had C O on it and it was addressed to my brother and I, Philip Gardner, and you know, it had oh, mm-hmm. my brother. Mm-hmm. But it had also had the foster parents name on it as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, me being the nosy kid, you know, yeah. let me see what this this is. Cause I knew it was a check. I had seen these checks before in the state of Minnesota from my mom receiving, you know, assistance. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. But uh I put it up to the light and I'll never forget it had $3,356. So that's what they were receiving every month for my brother and I. And I found out that the reason why they were receiving that is because we were classified as behavioral individuals. So we were considered high risk. Even though they gave them extra money, even though we never got suspended, never had any problems. I mean, we just came from this home for children 
with, with nothing but an excellent reputation, even at the, the home to where, how are we high risk? But we were considered high risk and they got this lump sum every single month. And one day mm-hmm. I was being nosy and I snuck into their room because mm-hmm. their room was right across from ours. And I opened up their dresser drawer and it was at least 10 checks like they were just holding them to make a huge deposit or at one time it was it was i had all of this money that they had received i want to say at, at least 30 40 almost forty thousand dollars that they had received in just this year nine ten months time we had been there and they had never bought us any clothes they didn't take us we never got a tv we never even got bicycles uh they didn't they didn't uh take us on any trips that they went on. I mean, it was people were like you, this is not going on. They would lock the refrigerator with a chain and lock really? just to keep us from going in to the refrigerator to, you know, get food, but they would give their kids the key mm. to go in. So when their kids would go in, of course, you know, we being teenage boys, we going in and we getting everything that we can, but we had to do it without the foster parents being there. Right. So it was, it, it was all weird because I wasn't expecting to be treated like this by my own, you know, my own people. I mean, this, you, you, you black, you from Arkansas, you from Mississippi, you from the South. So, you know, I haven't done, we haven't, you, you know, my mom is on drugs. You know, you know what I'm, I came from, you, but you are creating a, a deeper wound in me. And it just, I didn't, I never understood why you, why, why, why you like that? You know, like, what did I do to, to be like that? Mm-hmm. What did you do to deserve that? You and your brother. It, 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 I, I, even till this day, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'll be 45 this month. Mm-hmm. I still think back, why, what did I do to make them treat me like that? You know, to make them not want us to watch TV with their kids. And, you know, so I began to like, I don't know, I guess not, not only had I masked it, I began to like live in that mask. What do you mean by that? I began to like become someone the complete opposite. I wanted to be as far away from the Philip that I knew growing up in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I assimilated to be just like those kids in the suburbs. You know, I, I lost my, my southern accent. You know, I, I had, I began to like change my voice in the way I talked. I began to like change the way I walk. I, I, I like I, everything began to like change in the way to where I would be, look completely different than what I, I knew who. Well, do you think that was because you were, you wanted to fit in and be accepted? And, and maybe that, you, maybe you thought that that would change the way they would treat you? You know, I. It, they, the, the, the children in the school treated me well because it was a school of 1,700 kids. Okay. And there was only five blacks in this school. Mm. And it was a culture shock like you can never believe. You know, imagine coming from South Memphis yes. and going nothing but blacks around. And all you know is white people is evil. Right. That's all you know. That's, that's all what you taught. That's, and then you're getting thrust into this high school where you are one of five blacks. And I'll never forget the day 
me and my brother walk in, and we were sitting outside the uh, the principal, the, the the office, the administrative office, just sitting there waiting. And our foster parents were in there talking. And I looked at my brother and I said, "Rich, we can't beat up all these white boys. We got to be friends with them because we're." we're I'm from, that's what we did. It didn't matter. If you were a white guy in that neighborhood, you got it. We, was beat, we was fighting you. We, we don't even know why you, first of all, why you in this neighborhood, but that's what we were taught. Yeah. So when I got to this school and I'm looking like, wait a minute, we had just too many white boys. We can't beat these, all these white boys up. We got to be cool with them. And he's like, man, it's a lot of them. What are we going to do? I said, we just got to be cool with it. So for the first week, I didn't say a word. I, I, my coach, he, I remember my coach, the coach coming up to me is like, you tall, do you play basketball? And I was like, yeah, I played. So I go and play, with, just go to practice one day with them. And I turned out being the best player on the sophomore team. Like they were just in awe of me. And, 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 and what I had got from that is like I began to relax because, you know, now all these kids who I was getting ready to fight, were, were bringing me in and they were like, man, you can jump, man, you can shoot, you can do all that, you can do, you, you know, and I had never gotten that before because where I'm from, everybody can jump, everybody can shoot, everybody, you know, it, I didn't stay, I was, I was just a normal kid, but here I became exceptional. So while this stuff is going on at home, I drew more to school than being at home. And so the home aspect, it, it became more of a thorn or a nuisance to go back home. I didn't care to go back to that foster home or when I was in that foster home, I didn't care to speak to the foster parents because I knew what I was getting. Now, was every day like that? No, but most of the week was like that. You know, they may buy dinner and include us, but there was a limited amount that we could eat because we were teenage boys and they didn't want us to eat up all the food. And so... But again, you, I couldn't watch TV, so I didn't care to try to pretend to be a, a, a family of happy. And I, I think people fail to realize that being in a foster home mm-hmm. is cool for you away from whatever situation. But I'm, I will never be happy because I'm away from my mom. I'm away from my brothers and my sisters. I'm away from, I'm in a foreign land. I don't know any of you people. So don't you dare think that I'm going to be okay and happy with this this situation. There's no way in hell you can think that I should be able to smile when I don't even know where my mom is and I ain't talked to her in, in two, three months. What am I supposed to do? You think that I don't care what you give me or how many clothes, I don't care about that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, especially, it's... Especially if you're in a foster home where you're mistreated. It, it, you don't you, even get the chance to be happy, you know. And Because I, I know some people that were in foster homes and ended up getting adopted and loved their uh, parents, uh, but they didn't experience what you experienced, you know what I mean? Uh, and I'm, but I've, I've heard them say what you said. They still missed their biological parents. They wanted that relationship with them, regardless of what was going on or why they were separated. They still wanted that. So I feel what you're saying, right? But let me ask you this, though. Tell me, how did the treatment that you experienced uh, in that foster situation, in that foster home, how did that affect you as you got older, the next year in school, and your relationships and 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 uh, with with females or with your other friends 
How did that affect you if it did in any way? Now that I'm older, mm -hmm. I'm a father, I'm a husband, mm -hmm. I can look back and say it robbed me. And what do you mean by that? It robbed me in a way that I was never able to truly attach myself to people. I would always hold some back uh, I, 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 because I didn't know, I wasn't willing to, to completely open up because it made me numb. That treatment made me, that, that it made me numb because it came from adult black people, you know, and, and where I received all my love from or where I was supposed to, it was all empty. There was nobody there. There, you know, I, I, I so I got older, but I didn't have what I needed to, to sustain a, a proper relationship. So I would only give enough to where I was willing to lose, or if it did hurt, it wouldn't hurt this much. So it, it, it even till this day, it, it's only recent that I'm able to like process all of this stuff and, 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 and get it out. But it, it distorted the way I perceived all my relationships. And I, I wasn't, 100 as to so to speak in in every relationship i i held things back or i was always manipulating it to my advantage to where i couldn't get hurt again because now i'm out here and there is no safety net one thing about that foster home is that mm -hmm. it, it even though as bad as it was it was still a safety net you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying but now that i'm out i mm -hmm. gotta somehow create my own safety net so it gave me a different view of just adult in general. It just gave me, it gave me a different view. And I didn't want to grow up to be like them, you know. So I, I guess I had begun to live in this mask, hiding all the pain, hiding all the, the anxiety, the worry, the fear, you know. The, it, the, it just it truly distorted mm -hmm. everything that as a man, as a black man, as a man in America, I'm supposed to have or grow up with, it distorted. And I began to, I was able to just like mimic and, and, and I, my character became very charismatic to where I can fit into anywhere. It didn't matter whether it was where a hood. Where did you learn that from? I mean, because what it sounds to me like you were, you, you, you're saying that you were emotionally stunted in one way, but then in the other way you learned to assimilate you know what i'm saying so where did, did you learn that from watching tv or from watching the kids at school how did you learn to maneuver like that and become that charismatic person i i learned it by both kids at school mm -hmm. and watching tv mm. my vision of a black man or who i wanted to become was cliff huxtable okay that that's that's you know how he would mm -hmm. show how he was what you know, his wife and his kids, that was the goal the, the, as the black man who I wanted to become. That was the goal. How I would get there was from, you know, watching, you know, my other classmates with their parents. You know, my, my, all my classmates, all my friends were all white. They had mom, dad in the home. I saw how they loved their mom. I saw how their, they loved their dad. I saw how their dad got to treat their mom. I saw how their mom treated their dad, how they treated their sisters. And it was all such a loving environment. So I began to mimic what they would do in, in their relationships. Now, I didn't know it was all, uh, I guess, empty, 
because I was all mimicking, but it was it had created this desire that if I do what they did, mm-hmm. I will get what they got. If I think like them, then I would end up being the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Not understanding that I'm still carrying all of this rejection and this pain and, you know, I'm I'm, I'm taking it with me. But if I could just do these things, you know, and and be the way they be and act the way they act, then I'll get this, you know. Now, what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to wrap this episode up and we're going to come right back, y'all. So you're going to have to tune in to the next episode to get the rest of this story. But I want you to talk about when we get to the next episode, I want you to talk about the day that, uh, your social worker started to believe what you had been telling her all along about what was going on in foster home, okay? Yes, sir, I will. Right. I appreciate you doing this. Man. Oh, no Take problem, I appreciate you. Dig that. This has been another episode of Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker, and I say peace, y'all.